You see the term on the screen, the church. What do you think of when you think of the church? That's a rhetorical question. Most people think of a place to go to, like a building. Or they think of a place where they go and they see their friends and their loved one. And and while it's true that there's a a social impact, a social part of the church, that's not really what a church is. It's really not a building. We like to call this the sanctuary. Uh, The truth is, this is where we worship. This is the worship center. The sanctuary is in here after Jesus resurrected from the grave. We are God's people. We are God's sanctuary. We're the place where he revives. But a church, I want you to, it was in a deacon ordination one time where I heard, uh, they asked the, the candidate what, what his definition of a church was. I mean, have you ever thought about it? And he said it's a group of baptized believers. Well, that's not inaccurate. It's just incomplete. It is a group of baptized believers, those who have been saved, baptized believers, who have banded together voluntarily to fulfill the mission and ministry that God has given us. God gave that through his son Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And and by the way, that's not about the gates of hell. When you have gates, you're not the aggressor, you're the defensor. That means that the church is the aggressor trying to overcome and will overcome ultimately the gates of hell if we will be faithful to his mission and ministry. You see, so when you put all of that together, it's fair to say that the church was initiated by Christ, conceived by Christ, designed by Christ, instituted by Christ, and empowered by Christ to impact the world. How do we impact the world? Here's how we impact the world, brothers and sisters. We impact the world in this way. We believe Scripture, so we introduce the world to God. We introduce the world to Jesus. We introduce the world to to authentic concepts like heaven and hell. And if we don't introduce them to those things, they don't get it. We're the only ones. He has put us in charge. We are his plan A. There is no plan B. And yet, in this American culture, having all the power of God behind us, having the message of God, the mandate of God, why is it? Why is it that so many churches have less and less impact as days go by. I think it's because, as I read God's Word, this is where I draw my conclusion from. I, I think it's because, as a general rule, we can crack open the door of a church, and we can look inside a church, and we can see some things there that don't belong there. I stand pretty... Free to talk today because I don't see any of these things in this fellowship, but I've seen them in other places, and certainly it could happen here. We we can see pride run amok in a church. We can see strife. We can see self-centeredness or or, or selfishness, just wanting things their own way, self-satisfaction. And the worst of all is we can see unconcern about people who do not know Christ. From a Bible point of view, for that to be inside of a church is ugly. It's unbiblical. Today, as we look inside the church, 
I hope maybe we see some things through this message that we need to discard from the church. In fact, um, you might get this. This kind of was lost on the first day. Are you all awake? Give me a nod. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I prepared this message because today we're going to look at things found in hell that belong in the church. It's kind of an unusual message. Would you, could I get a nod at least? Yeah. And so I told the Wednesday night crowd, I said, I'm preaching Sunday on things found in hell belong in the church. Perhaps the next week I should think, I should find, I should prepare a message that things that's found in the church that belong in hell. But I think I'll leave that one alone, all right? You got me? But today I want us, I want us to look and I want us to grasp from the scripture as we look at Luke 16. Luke 16, where we're going to read, is a very familiar story, although I'm going to admit to you it's not read near as much today as it was when I was a kid. I was also told as a kid this was a parable. And I just want to say to everybody, you know, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning told by Jesus. There's no place in Scripture that Jesus tells us it's a parable. This is a story that he's telling us. So if you will, if you can, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? Let's get this story in front of us. It is, we start in verse 19, it is the story that we know as the rich man and Lazarus. Now I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible, so you may be just a few words different, but most of them will be the same. Picking up at verse 19, follow along, this is indeed God's holy word. There was a rich man, Jesus said. There was a rich man who had dressed in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He, Lazarus, longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. That would be the crumbs. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Now I want to pause a second. If you'll just kind of put a, hit your pause button and let me say this to you. Lazarus did not go to heaven. And the rich man did not go to hell simply because they were rich and poor. The rich man depended on himself and his riches. That's something we need to know because in this world today, all of us in this room are in the top 5% of being rich people. Top 5% of the wealthy people in the world. The poor man, Lazarus, went to heaven is because at that gate, he found, a, he found himself... Not being able to depend on himself, not being able to depend on this world, not being able to depend on people. And so he put his hand, he put his soul in the hands of God. So now we have the picture. Lazarus went to heaven, the rich man went to hell. So let's pick up, let's pick up with verse 24. Father Abraham, the rich man called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to tip, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he was comforted here 
while you were in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he, Abraham, told him, the rich man, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that for the next few minutes, I pray that you will penetrate our heart like you've never done before. I pray the frame and the fire of the Holy Spirit will lance our heart and that you'll pour yourself in us. You will reveal yourself to us. And if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus in a personal way, I pray that today will be the time. If there's someone here that that has taken on some attributes and they're your follower, but they've taken on some habits that, that displease you, I pray that today, Lord, that you'll deal with them. But Lord, I pray today that you will make us the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before I do anything else, I want to point your attention back to verse 31 where Abraham told the rich man, if they don't listen to Moses the prophet, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And here's what I want to tell you to you. Someone did rise from the dead. Someone did rise from the dead and give them the message of eternal life. His name is Jesus. And he continues today to try to get people to listen to him and to repent and come to him for for faith, come to him for life, come to him for peace, come to him for hope. But too often, even today, we don't listen to the one that came back from the grave. And some of us will go, well, Brother Jerry, you saying we don't believe in Jesus? I, I, I'm not sure it's that we don't believe in Jesus as much as we have kind of dismissed this concept of hell. The Bible teaches it. But we have dismissed that there is this literal place of punishment that Jesus talks about. Why do I say that? I remember years ago when Francis Chan, a West Coast pastor, wrote a book entitled Erasing Hell. Erasing Hell. I mean, think about it. He's a West Coast pastor in California. We don't think those guys particularly think uh, correct most of the time. If somebody's here from California, do not charge the platform. I'm just giving uh, kind of an assessment here. It doesn't have to matter to you. It have to be you. But we think they don't, they don't think right. And so when this book came out from Francis Chan, Erasing Hell, obviously he was trying to tell us that there was no hell. That had to be the case, right? Wrong. He was actually telling exactly the opposite because as he opened the book, he tells a story. The reason the book is written is because he said, I remember the day when I was by my grandmother's bed and those instruments flatlined. He said, I freaked out because 
based on what I knew the Bible taught and based on what I knew on what she said and did, she just closed her eyes in this life to an eternity of punishment. You see, Francis Chan wasn't talking about that he was going to erase hell. It's a matter that us culturally want to erase hell. Because if we can erase hell, then there's no reason for our loved ones to be saved. You see, he makes the case in that book, as the Bible does, for an actual literal hell with literal fire, literal punishment, and, and, a, and a permanent place, an eternal place. And Chan tries to get his readers to be moved. I mean, if you had a friend that you knew if they walked out of this front door and walked out to the road that they were going to be struck and killed, what would you do? I'm going to tell you what you'd do. If they're really your friend, somebody you love, you'd do your best to stop them from getting there. You'd keep them away from danger. I have to tell you, on Thursdays I was putting the finishing touches on this message and I came to this part and I was reminded about this book that he had written, I almost stopped and, and prepared a message on hell because we don't talk about it. We almost erased it out of our minds. But that message will wait for another day because I think we need this one today. Having read this story, and you've got your bulletin. I know the kids down here on the front do a lot of writing. I want to offer you five things that I see in hell that belong in the church. And by saying belongs in the church, they belong in my life and they belong in your life if we're going to be God's people. First, fire. Fire. In our text, where you can see he talks about he talks about, I am in agony in this flame, he says, so they won't come to this place of torment. He is standing knee-deep in fire. Flame and fire has many qualities. Certainly it hurts us in our, in our body, you know. And, and I'll just tell you, this is, this is the case to let you know this, is that for those who have trusted Christ when, we, when he returns, we will have a glorified body. We'll have a new body that will last for eternity. But for those outside of Christ, they'll be given a new body, but it's a different body. It's a body that can be punished for all eternity. If you put these bodies in a fire, they'll be burned up in about three minutes. And that, that eternal place of eternal punishment, they have a new body, a body that will endure the punishment for all eternity. You see, fire... This fire of hell, it never goes out. If you think of the qualities of fire, they, they, it's unstoppable. If, as long as it's got fuel, and sometimes the fuel regenerates itself, it just goes on and on and on, and it's uncontrollable. I learned about it being uncontrollable in Columbia, Mississippi. We were at my grandmother's house on my mom's side. Went right across the road. This older teenager was over there. You weren't supposed to do this. We had just come through the Christmas season, and now it was against the law to pop firecrackers. But we went out and popped. Has anybody ever done that, went out and popped firecrackers? We went out in Larry's backyard to pop, pop firecrackers, and he had matches, and they weren't. He goes, let's build us a little fire right here in the yard so everybody can 
through firecrackers. So it was mid, it wasn't, it wasn't January. It had to be, and that had to be after the 4th instead of Christmas because mid-July the ground was dry. And so he struck that match and dropped it down there and we put a little grass on it. And you know what it did? We wound up calling the fire department before it burned houses down. None of you have ever done anything like that, have you? Ah, yeah, here we go. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The fire was uncontrollable. The fire was uncontrollable. It it just keeps on going, it keeps on going, and keeps on going. never goes out. The fire of hell is uncontrollable. It's eternal, and it's destructive. It destroys hope. It destroys help. It destroys... uh, It destroys your comfort. It destroys your peace. It destroys everything. But you know what? That fire that's in hell, that fire that's in hell that destroys happiness and and peace and comfort and hope and life, that fire that's for eternity, you know what? Watch this. We're just going to move the fire. We need that fire to the church. We need fire in the church. You see, it's a different kind of fire. It would still be uncontrollable. It would still be an igniting kind of fire. It would still be a fire that never goes out. It's the fire and the flame of the Holy Spirit of God running wild in our hearts. It's the fire. This fire is that most 21st century church people do not have a clue about. It's a fire that fell in Acts 2 when the tongues of fire fell on the 120 people. And it caused a stir among the whole community. And listen, you may like the, the quiet, don't get it upset religion, but I'm going to tell you what, when the Holy Spirit fell, everybody knew it. There was a sound like a rushing of a mighty wind. And it came and it lit on people. And we know that 120 people who were in the room were impacted. And we know that the sound was so loud. <clears throat> 3,000, we know it, we know 3,000 people came. I think it's more like five or 6,000. But 3,000 people gave their heart to Christ. Because of the fire of the Holy Spirit, that fire melts cold hearts. It crushes hard hearts. And it even caused stiff-necked Baptists to relax, be joyful, and to tell the story of what we've done. You know, here's the truth. The fire is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in hearts. How in the world, Baptist, my friends, how do we think that we are filled with with the Holy Spirit inside and have such a cold exterior. I mean, you just take take a block of ice and bore a hole in it and take a candle and set it inside there. I mean, a little candle, a little birthday candle. What's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to melt away. Because fire melts away the coldness. Because the fire is hot. James compares, James compares the tongue to a fire. And he intimates that it's uncontrollable. 
This entire message, I could just stay on this because we need the fire of God. We need the Spirit of God. We need the presence of God more than we need anything else. But I'm going to tell you one other thing about fire. It attracts. Now, when I say this first hour, everybody just kind of sat there like, you're crazy, preacher, but I know this. You go down on the creek bank in the middle of the night, and you build a fire. And you will have guests. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You look really stoic. I didn't get enough sleep last night. Did y'all not get enough sleep last night? You get stoic. You know, you get that fire out there, and if people pass by, they're going to see the fire burning. What are they going to do? They're going to come see what's going on. But you may get some guests that you don't want. Y'all with what I'm telling you? You may get some of those no-shoulder guys that slither up because fire attracts. The church is the same way. When a church is on fire, it attracts people. Old story, but I'm going to tell it again. A little town, a little church, and the whole town was trying to get Joe. Sorry, Joe. Trying to get Joe to attend. And he was a town atheist. And he wouldn't go to church for anything in the world. Well, one day the chairman of Deacon sitting on his front porch and Joe comes running by out of breath. He said, Joe, where are you going? He said, the church, church house is on fire. And he said, Joe, what do you care about that? You've never been to the church before. And he goes, church has never been on fire before. Boy, that's to our, that's to our chagrin. You see, folks, people, let me say it this way, the world needs to see people, God's people, on fire. Needs to sense the fire of God. Because you see, when fire gets into us, spiritual fire gets into us, priorities are reordered, impurities are removed, and God speaks. We need the fire of God. Before I pass this point, I wonder, can you sense the fire of God in your heart? Is the the fire down to a flicker? Can you sense the fire of God among us? You see, folks, when the fire is not sensed in God's people, the church loses its joy. It loses its meaning, it loses its mission, and it even loses its hope, ultimately. And at that point, we become a hotel for the saints instead of a hospital for the sinners. One thing about staying in a hotel, you can come and go at your, at your pleasure. If you're in the hospital, somebody helps you. Or when to come in and go out. You see, folks, we need the fire. I would just like to stay here for the next 20 minutes talking about it. But I'm going to end this with this. Sadly, our young people don't have any clue about this. Our young adults don't really have any clue about the fire. People my age and older, we remember seeing the fire of God, the revival of God, the presence of God in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But we've not seen that in a long time. They have nothing to draw on. And we won't have the fire of God if we 
are not his people if we don't humble ourselves and pray and seek God and turn from our wicked ways so that he can hear from heaven and can forgive our sins and then heal our land. We need to fire. The second thing we need that I find here is prayer. Is prayer. If you look there, it says, uh, um, The rich man also died, was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Father Abraham at his side. He said, Father Abraham! And it says, he called out, in my translations, that's better translated, he cried out. Sadly, Many of us don't need, don't think we need to pray that prayer. We don't think we need mercy from a heavenly God. We think we're doing pretty good. And the truth is we are doing pretty good in the gospel according to me. As long as you let me be the God, I am doing pretty good. Wrong idea about prayer is that we just pray when we need something or we want something. Prayer is an ongoing communication. It is a two-way conversation. Ask the first hour. And if any time you want to be offended, be offended. That's not my heart. How do you communicate? How do I communicate to people who literally have everything money can buy? of their need for the grace and mercy of God. Truth is, we will never learn to pray, have mercy, until we realize how unworthy we are of God's mercy, love, and grace. This man knew. He knew with fires literally lapping at his heels. The rich man had a desperate appreciation for his need. I am praying that nobody in this room has to get to that point before they realize their need. But we need prayer not over in hell. We need to move that prayer to the church. It's our foundation. It's our foundation. seems to me that people who have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, from hell to heaven, should not let a day go by without thanking God for His mercy and His grace. Jesus taught us, ask and it will be given to you. Seeking you'll find, knocking will be open to you. The prophet taught us that you will seek God and find God when you seek God with all of your heart. Second Chronicles tells us, God, if my people call by my name, those who bear my image will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear. Prayer should be the centerpiece of our life, both individually and collectively. We should never be afraid to gather around the altar and pray. We should never be afraid to pray out loud. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first option. The old show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? They had three lifelines. Well, let me just power this down for you. 
in our life, we have one lifeline, and it's prayer. And it's prayer. Acts 2, they gathered. They gathered for worship, discipleship, fellowship, performed ministry, did evangelism, and they prayed. Brothers and sisters, we must be a people of prayer. Jesus said, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And we are the house. The third thing I see here is the big word, understanding. Now, what in the world are you talking about, Brother Jerry? Well, look, the rich man asked for a drop of blood, I mean, excuse me, a drop of water to be placed on his tongue. A drop of water placed on his tongue. Just to cool him a little bit. And you know what he was told? Now, young people, teenagers, I know y'all don't understand this word. Okay, I know, I know you've never heard this word. He asked for this drop of water, and this is, was his answer. No. 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 And then Abraham gave him the reason. You know what the truth is? It's like that. It's like the rich man understood his situation. He understood the truth of God. He understood what was going on. And I'll just pause to tell you, if you're not a Christian, if you never received Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it might frighten you, but just let me tell you this. According to Scripture, four of his five senses were active. We know he looked up. We know he spoke. We know he heard. And we know he felt. The only sense not mentioned is the sense of smell. I have my own personal belief about why that is. But the truth is, is that I submit to you that this rich man, before he ever opened his mouth, he kind of had an understanding that it's over for me. It's over for me. He didn't argue. He didn't push back. Abraham said no. Now, I just want to tell you this. I want to take, I want to take understanding, and I want to move it into the church because we need a deep understanding of God's truth in the church. We need to understand that, that the principles of the Bible, the principles of the gospel, are principles that we can't do anything about. We live in a culture that's what I call the shout-down culture, and that is, if you watch the news you listen to people talk. It's the person who can shout the loudest always wins. Well, the person that shouts the loudest may win the, may win the argument, but they didn't win the day because truth is truth. Facts have no feeling. You see, we need to come to an understanding in this room. We need to come to understanding that the Bible is the truth. And there's nothing, you, you didn't get a, you didn't get a vote. I don't get an opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter. It's only his opinion. I often heard that God plus one is a majority. Well, let me just kind of burst your bubble. If you think you're that one, listen, God's the majority. It don't matter what we say or think. We need to have that kind of understanding that he had in hell. You see, to understand the Bible is the truth. Understanding the man of God has been called to be his spokesman. The truth is, the truth is, is, is that we find it all right here. 
here. You know, Brother Jerry, I don't like some of the things the Bible says. I'm with you. Can I change it? Well, let me, let me ask. Okay. You may not like, you may not like the fact that the Bible clearly teaches that a female should not be a senior pastor. Clearly teaches that. You may not like that. Okay. But Jerry, can I change that? Well, let me just ask you this. I may not like that Jesus had to die on a cross for my sin. Do I get to change that? You see, what he has written, he has written. What he has said, he has said. And we need to have understanding like this man in the fire had it. Just need to accept his truth and live by his truth and respond to his truth because he loves us. He didn't do this to tie us down. He did this for our protection. The next thing I see here is concern. Concern. Isn't it interesting? Picture this rich man. He's in the fire. He's asked for relief. Been told no. And then he says, Father, I beg you, verse 27, to send Lazarus to my father's house because i got five brothers. Go warn them. I really don't want them to come to this place. His future was decided, but he wanted his loved ones. He wanted his loved ones not to have to come there. Father, Send Lazarus. Send a prophet. Send somebody. The concern. Now let's move that to the church. It'll move up in a second. Let's move that to the church. We desperately need this kind of concern inside the church. I want to say that again. We need that kind of concern in the church. I'm not trying to be offensive, but the American church in total has all but lost concern for those outside the church and outside of Christ. If we're honest, most of what's done by the church is done for the church. We've become focused inside our four walls. Years ago, 25 years ago, you'll remember this, Deb, we interviewed with the pastor search team. And I put this question to them. I said, suppose that you, and this was an urban church, not a rural church. I said, suppose that you surveyed people around your building and you discovered that the reason you could only reach 120 or 130 people of all of these people was because you were meeting at the wrong time. If you just make a, an adjustment, they told you if you'd make a little adjustment in your meeting time, they would attend. What would you do? And from the end of the table, a young lady who was, happens to be a pastor's daughter, she looked at me and unashamedly she said, I would have to see how that impacts me. By the way, there was a church in Tennessee that went through that same scenario about 40 years ago. They were in a massive place with probably a half million people 
And they surveyed, and that's what they found out. A Baptist church. It took them six months to make the decision to change their time. And today that church runs over 5,000. Numbers are not the big thing. It's the people that they reached and what they were willing to do to reach the people. You see, the deal is, is that we do what we're concerned for. It pains me to say, brothers and sisters, but for the most part, the church in America has said to the lost, to those outside of Christ, if they go to hell, what is that to me? Am I really my brother's keeper? Here's what I want to tell you. Every member of this church, you may not be your brother's keeper, but you are a holder of the sacred chalice of the words of life. And there are some folks that if you don't share it with them, they'll never get it. And I will say this to you. Is that they should see it in you before you tell them about it. Concern. The last thing is the word passion. If you're writing down, you might want to put there urgency. Urgency. Generally today, if we invite somebody to church one time or tell somebody about Christ one time, they've had their chance. But I want you to see this guy standing in the fires of hell. He had asked for relief and was told, what was he told, young people? Ben, what was he told? No. But you know what he, and he he didn't even push back, he just understood it. But when it came to his brothers, and Abraham said, no, they got enough. He goes, no, that's not enough. If someone goes back from the dead, they will listen. He had passionate, urgent concern for his family and the friends. We need this today badly. Let's move it to the church. We move it today badly in the church. A passion to reach and touch and help people. We need people who don't give up. We need people who will stand in the gap. We need people who are passionately willing to stand for the Lord in the gap. A couple of weeks, I'll preach on Father's Day. If the Lord doesn't change my mind, I'll preach on uh, uh, Ezekiel 22:30. And I sought for a man among them who would make up the hedge, repair the wall, and stand in the gap. And the sad commentary was, I found not a man. You see, folks, we need to find a new passion. We're passionate about a lot of things. We're passionate about our ball. We're passionate about our vacations. We're passionate about our time off. We're passionate about the pew we sit in. We're passionate about the parking lot, the parking space we sit in. But we're not passionate about the Lord. We're not passionate about the people next door. We're not passionate about those who will wind up like this rich man and one day find themselves knee-deep in the fire unless we do something. We need to tell them how much we love them. We need to show them how much we love them so we can tell them how much we love them so we can piggyback and show them how much Jesus loves them. It was August 28th, 1963, that Dr. Martin Luther King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. 
I was only eight years old, but I remember coming home from school and watching a large part of it on TV. And you know what I remember about that? He was a great speaker. You know what I remember about that? I remember he kept saying, I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream. Brothers and sisters, I have a dream this morning. I have a dream of a church whose membership resembles a picture of heaven. I have a dream where understanding the principles and the precepts of God are the norm. I have a dream where passionate concern for people outside of Christ and people outside the church are at the forefront of all the members. I have a dream where the fire of God reigns in the hearts of believers because of the ongoing prayers of the congregation. I have a dream where every person who claims to know Christ walks like his disciples and produces spiritual fruit. I have a dream where every believer loves one another. Where the world wonders why we are so wonderfully different in our actions and our attitudes and our lifestyles. My dream is that people will want to know my Jesus because they know us. I have a dream where those things we have spoken of today that are seen in hell have found their way into the church. Of all that being said, my big dream is this. My big dream, my huge dream is this. That it would begin today. That it would begin right now. And the only way for that to happen as a church is for me and you, each one of us, to possess all the characteristics that we've mentioned. Fire, the prayer, understanding, concern, and passion. And that's, those things are only produced with the walk with Christ. So my prayer today is, first of all, if there's someone here who's never received Christ Jesus, He loves you. He died for you. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us for all have sinned. Jesus came and He died for you. God tells us in His Word that He demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we're told that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never invited Christ into your life, let it happen today. Maybe you've invited Christ into your life, but you've let other things take root in your life. It's kind of move God to the side. Why not today be the, be the fresh start of something new? Here's what I'm going to tell you. He wants to save us. He wants to renew us if we'll come to Him. Let's pray together.